This is On the Fence Physio, a project designed to drive discussion around those gray topics in physiotherapy. If a professor ever answered your question with, it depends, this is where you want to be. We might not figure out the correct answer, but we will try to answer the question in every single possible way. This is a discussion forum directed at healthcare providers around issues in physiotherapy, but we also welcome viewpoints from patients. That being said, this podcast is not medical advice. If you are looking for legitimate medical advice, seek out a legitimate licensed medical provider. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to On the Fence Physio. I am your host today, Matt Owens, and I'm joined by my friend, Andy Wiseman. How are you today, Andy? I don't know, Matt. My uh, my palms are sweaty. My knees weak. My arms are heavy. My coffee has me feeling heady. My caseload's steady. I'm nervous. From the service, I'm calm and ready to cause doms. But my patients keep on forgetting the HAP. I wrote down the whole clinic is so loud and provoking. Now no pain is no joke. And now treatment ends. Time's up. Over. Get out. Snap out of reality. I'm doing a podcast. All right. Hey, how you doing, Matt? Hey, I'm doing great, Slim Shady. It's good to, good to see you. Good to hear from you today. What are we talking about today? What are we talking about? Oh, we're talking about something on the podcast? Great. I think we're talking about continuing education because I need, uh, I need to keep my day job. Um, we wanted to ask people for their thoughts, their opinions on what kind of continuing education are the ones to look for, which ones are also the ones to watch out for, avoid, because there are some that are good, some that are great, some that are not so good. So we didn't get a whole lot of involvement on Twitter, but I got thoughts. You've got thoughts. We surveyed some friends directly. Yeah, yeah. what your continuing education experience have been? What courses have you taken in your young career? So as a third year PT student, I was convinced I needed to take continuing ed courses already. Got to get ahead of the curve before you even have that license. Um, and the way we graduated, those continuing eds didn't even need to be on our license because we graduated in an odd year and we had no renew on an even year. So eh, we got ahead for no reason. But I took um, a course taught by Gary Gray, who was a alumni of Indiana University back in the day, on um, dynamic movement systems. Yes, the 3D Which was maps. 3D maps, right? And also took the um, level one course for Graston, which is one of the brand names in instrument-assisted soft tissue mobilization. And they're very fancy folded stainless steel tool that you can only buy it's once an, you've certified. It's, in an program. it's an instrument, not a tool. You obviously didn't sure. take the second M2 course. It's all right. Oh, I didn't take the second course. Um, I've taken three different dry needling courses. Oh, hey, who's throwing? Hey. <laughs> yeah, um, I've taken dry needling courses from Kineticore, which was my first my first job, said that was the best one to do. And then my uh, next job told me that, no, no, myopain seminars was the best one. So I took, a, I took courses from myopain seminars and dry needling as well. Um, I've taken McKenzie part A. I don't know how many letters they have nowadays, but I got the first letter. I think there's at least um, D. I think D is the extremities. D. All right. Ooh, D is the extremities. Oh, I think so. I don't know about the D. McKenzie. <laughs> um, 
And then we took that one random course together that was put on by some, uh, some Jeff, guy. Jeff Rigg, who was uh, – uh, I'm not sure if he was an alumnus of IU, but he was definitely at one point a uh, uh, lab assistant in the orthopedic uh, courses okay. from Men, Colorado. So, And he's still out there okay. doing that. Yeah, that was good. That was a, he was what? talking about it. innovative ways to look at treating the lumbar spine. Yes, innovative – treatments of the lumbar spine yeah i probably have a certificate around here somewhere somewhere in that drawer of continuing education in case you get audited uh, yeah how about you matt uh well i've Where's taken many of the similar education courses as you in school i think we we're both uh co we're so diverse yeah so diverse now um i have taken an official bfr certification course I've also completed the Graston coursework and have my Graston credential. Uh, and then we've both gone through residency, which would also count as continuing education. And then through my company, I've taken a couple of different general orthopedic, shoulder, back, orthotic, knee, ACL specific and running specific courses. Yeah. All right. Well, those are fun. Yes, all all good so, fun stuff. I figure first thing we need to talk about is maybe some red flags to look for. So if you are a new grad, if you are a maybe you're being pressured to be taking continuing ed as a SPT, you're still a student. Uh, we, what, what are the things you should be looking for? Um, I feel that some of the things we need to talk about, we need to talk about financial conflicts of interest, right? Those exist. Most of these continuing, edu continuing education companies are businesses. They have to make money. Um, in order for them to make money, they have to convince you to come to their classes. They have to convince you that coming to their classes is worth your money, however much money that is. What do you feel like average continuing ed weekend courses are running nowadays, Matt? In my experience, I believe it's somewhere between four fifty to six fifty for a weekend. There's been some cheaper ones because I remember that mend one for the student rate. It was only like one hundred and twenty-five bucks, which was a tough thing to swing as a grad student. But it was a little bit more uh, easily swallowed than if someone told me I had to pay five hundred bucks for that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah, it, it, it's a big, it's a pretty good chunk of change just for a you know weekend course. I can only imagine what some of the you know longer courses are running. I haven't sat through anything longer than three days in a row of continuing education, which yeah. I think is a standard model. Yeah, two to three days. What's the mm -hmm. uh, the dry needling courses that you took? Without you don't have to name names, but any range in price on those? Aren't those like eight? Or oh, 900 bucks or something. Oh, gosh, no, it was 1400 <laughs> Okay. Uh, and that was with the 10% uh, uh, discount that my company gave. Okay. Those are expensive. Yeah, okay. you want to learn how to poke holes in people? Um, they're going to poke some holes in your wall at first. <laughs> oh, geez. Is that, is that a joke I should cash out on? Mm, never change, Andy. Never change. Never <laughs> Yeah, so continuing uh, education can be expensive. So if you're going to invest yeah. your and dollars. You can pass the yeah. buck onto your company to pay the bill, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's what I feel like a lot of us 
do or like whenever I was looking for a job, trying to find one that would give me a good continuing education allowance, I felt was important. Uh, the flip side of it though is that sometimes you come, you could come to the end of the year and you have, you know, $800 laying around. It's like, well, I need to spend this and get some uh, CEUs and in my opinion, maybe you choose a course that you wouldn't have otherwise done if you had to pay for it out of your own pocket. So what would be some of your tips and tricks, Andy, on choosing continuing education from either good experiences you've had or bad experiences? I feel that looking for courses that are trying to offer an easy fix, quick fix, or a very systematic way of evaluating things and treating them are the really seductive ones. Those are the ones that you're like, ooh, I'm gonna learn something that is gonna make my patients feel better on Monday. And that is one of my favorite red flags is if you have your course instructor says, oh, I'm gonna teach you stuff that's gonna help you with your patient on Monday morning, immediate red flag should go up. How do they know <laughs> what patient you're seeing on Monday morning? <laughs> <laughs> Have they looked into your caseload? Um, anything where they think it can be applied to everyone. If some, you know, course instructor is saying like, ah, my methods can work on everyone, can work on everything, can make anyone better, another red flag should go up. We need to have a little bit of doubt. We need to have a little bit of cynicism. We need to have a little bit of um, understanding that a lot of patients are a lot more nuanced. Um, I was... I was definitely seduced by McKenzie's very systematic approach to evaluating and treating. You know, they fit into nice little neat buckets, right? If the patient buckets, does this yeah. and they feel like this, they're in bucket A. If they do this and they feel like that, then they're in bucket B. And there's no other options. It's just like, ah, they're going to be in one of these buckets. And if you're in this bucket, you treat them like this. If you're in this bucket, you treat them like that. And, oh, man, that felt so like, you know, as a new grad, you know, who was trying to figure out the complexities of working in outpatient orthopedics. I was like, sweet, this simplifies everything down. I can do this in my sleep. Eval form is one page. <laughs> Great. Um, so trying to almost avoid those things. So trying to avoid, you know, trying to look for maybe coursework out there that is a little bit more skeptical. So, you know, I've I've been a fanboy for a long time, and everybody kind of knows this about us is that um PT Inquest is kind of uh, you know the premiere of physical therapy podcast we're chasing behind them um and eric mara has a continuing ed course that he offers and he offers it all online now because of the pandemic he used to travel around the country giving it i've taken his continuing ed courses and they have a lot of skepticism in the first um module that he does is all about how um to do good science in physical therapy and how a lot of the science we do in physical therapy isn't even that good it just calls a lot of things into question and then he doesn't state a lot of things very concretely. A lot of it is open to a little bit of interpretation, open to the ambiguity. So I think those are slightly the more mature classes. So if you can look into um, these classes ahead, if they're you know offering things that seem like really concrete, really clear cut, really um, going to work on everybody, that's something I kind of tend to avoid now. And looking for ones that try to ask a little bit more nuanced questions, that try to answer things a little bit more honestly, that's what I'm looking for. And that's really hard to find. So I feel like we almost need to look for who's going to be giving that education. So do you have someone 
who has a financial conflict of interest, you know, if there's someone who's on the board of the Institute of blah, blah, blah treatment, right? And they're teaching about blah, blah, blah treatment. That's probably someone you want to avoid. Also, if they're the premier researcher of that one intervention, then we might want to avoid that too, because that is an intellectual conflict. If they have built their entire career around researching like one intervention, then that's what they hang their like prestige on. Like they're going to keep researching, trying to find how great it is. They're not going to try to disprove themselves if they've built up, you know, this entire, you know, persona around this one intervention or model of treatment or whatever. Yeah. So what you're saying is we want to try to avoid uh, concrete answers to uh, gray areas in physical therapy, which we know exist. I think, as a clinician, it's difficult because we strive for intellectual ease. We like when we don't have to think, when we can just go through a system, it makes sense, it's easy, wham, bam, we go home at the end of our 10-hour day and our brain isn't fried. Most of you new grads um, and all therapists at one point in time, you can remember when you were in the clinic and you came home and you were just worn out. Because every single person that came in, you were thinking through all of the different possibilities, all the treatments, what can you do? And as we get more experienced, in a good way, you can pair through those things more quickly. But at the same time, if you're being drawn to the, the system that makes you not have to think, it's probably not a good thing. So do you think uh, if someone were to really dedicate themselves into one of these models, really go into it wholeheartedly, what do you, th what do you think would happen? Matt? So that is my question that keeps me up at night is here I am a, an intellectual uh, free thinker trying to stay unbiased, listening to all – Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Let's deflate a little bit. <laughs> Your head's not fitting the camera anymore. <laughs> That's right. So because of all that, I don't know anything, right? There's all these uh, possibilities, things that might work in this situation, not in this situation, all this stuff. So I wonder if I would have just, if I just would learn one thing, if I just learn a lot about ultrasound, I know the frequencies, the megahertz, pulse or not pulse, what to use on all the patients. And if I just believe that wholeheartedly that this is going to work in this situation and I tell my patients that and I just do it all the time, I sometimes would wonder if I would have better outcomes. Uh, if you're the guru of the system, you wholeheartedly believe it. Your patient respects you. They understand that you believe it. They want to believe it. All these nonspecific effects come together nicely. And I wonder if my patients would do better if I didn't try to learn more. I think they would. Cause I think that when you get to that guru status too, people start seeking you out for that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You're known for doing that thing and being the person who does that thing so well. So if you're doing it, it must be good. Therefore, if you're being seen by that guru, then you must get better. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've seen, I think, with some of the dry needling courses, I think, that you've taken. or I know coworkers have taken. They've taken it from the guru. And the guru gets sent the patients from 
their physician or the patient specifically seek them out because they're the one that's going to fix them. Same thing with uh, our instrument assisted soft tissue manipulation. Uh, both of our instructors for the grass in one course and then mine for the grass in two course, like is the, the person that everybody gets sent to for Graston. So you've got this other nonspecific effect of, hey, my doctor told me this is the best person for this, for that. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, if if that's the path you want to go down, I don't know. For me, I just don't want to treat with placebo. Like I want to be as honest in my treatment as possible. So that's Why? I don't know. <laughs> my foundational core beliefs, Andy, because I don't care about people getting better as much as I care about sleeping at night. Oh, is this what you tell you, teach your children? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> don't care about getting other people better. You care more about yourself. I care more about myself than other people. Yes. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. Sometimes it's hard to weigh that potential benefit of our own sleeping you know at night being able to not compromise our own morals ethics um for patient benefit but man i had i had one patient one time i'm going to tell that one patient story right mm -hmm. so i had a patient who was in a motor vehicle accident legitimate you know like injury right that a lot, a lot of things happened and had a lot of you know multi you know multi-trauma kind of pains from being in that car accident, recovered from so many things, um, got back to almost every single activity, but for some reason had this hamstring pain, this proximal hamstring pain that would just not go away. We did all the things. We did the we did the hamstring strengthening, we did eccentrics, we did, you know, like manual therapy things into the hamstring tendon. We we uh, tried all kinds of, you know, all kinds of things to try to load it differently, to change his sitting posture, to change. Like, we're just, I'm just, I'm throwing everything at this guy and nothing was working. He got two different follow-ups from different orthopedists. I just said, like, nope, nothing wrong with, nothing wrong with the tendon, nothing wrong with the bone. We can't do anything about it. So one day he came in, he said, hey, I took two strips of uh, stretchy tape. I stuck it on the back of my leg. My pain, all my pain went away. <laughs> and I was sitting there going, Ooh, do I say something? Do I say that, you know, like the stretchy tape, there's no way that changed anything about you physiologically, that this is something that maybe has just changed how you feel, you know, like so many factors. I just held my tongue. I just said, cool. I'm glad you're feeling better. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, you, and you didn't take credit for it. I didn't know. Yeah. I said like, Hey, if that's a good management strategy, if that feels good, you go for it. You know, like, because yeah, I didn't think it was a good intervention. I never even put it into, you know, I wasn't my top, my first line. It wasn't in my top 10. <laughs> so when he did it for himself, I was like, well, it doesn't cost a whole lot. You know, like he can do it to himself, which means, you know, he's independent. He's not clinically dependent. So yeah. I let it slide. Yeah. No, I think in that's where you know patient perception and all that comes in into uh, play for sure. So from a uh, another maybe conflict of interest from both of our companies supply in-house continuing education. Do you find 
any yellow flags with that? I, I would consider um, in-house education always to be a yellow flag because there's an immediate conflict of interest. These, these companies reach out, um, these you know, continuing ed companies reach out to your company because they know that if they offer some like discount or they offer to do the education for free, that that gets them in the door and they're going to be able to market their product to a niche group of therapists. And they're likely going to get a good turnout because if it's an in-house thing, you know, like the cost for the individual attending is zero or low, you know, depending on, you know, what the model of the company is. So I think that's an immediate, you know, like, ooh, pump the brakes a little bit. Now, if it's somebody that's in your company that's presenting something and they're trying to present it out to the rest of people in the company, I think that's perfectly safe. That's someone who's actually not having any financial incentive. That's someone who's just trying to better the overall practice of your company. So we have some presentations um, with my company now where people will, you know, give some kind of in-service, whether it's a student, whether it's a staff. And then they'll just go ahead and record that and send that out to the whole company to watch. Now, it's not certified continuing education stuff, but I feel like they definitely could make some of this stuff certified continuing education stuff. Um, I like that. I think that's, um, that's very good um, information to get. Now, um, yeah, when a company comes in and says like, hey, we're going to give you some free education about how great lasers are. Just bring lots of therapists so we can tell them how great lasers are. Oh, and now that you're here for our course, we're going to give you 10% off our uh, deluxe laser package if you buy in the next 30 minutes. <laughs> oh boy, you know we've just you know we've just spent in a, you know a free education session telling you about how great laser is, and now we're offering you a discount of to buy a laser. Like, not see that come. Yeah. Well, I think wonder why they offered that education for free. Something that you brought up uh, that has been one of my favorite continuing education experiences in my career so far is the in-house presentation by the therapist within the company. So the company I work for does a new grad mentor series that you're required to attend all of them. Uh, within your first two years of employment in the company and you get to hear about shoulder rehab from the shoulder person, knee rehab from the knee person, hip, gait, all these different things and it for me was a really good review of PT school because once again it's a foundational principles without a lot of fluff I guess and just kind of bring brought back around to that and hey, this is how I've used it in the clinic for the last 10 or 15 years and this is what I've seen and this is, we're still doing the same stuff that you've learned in school and this is how I refine it a little bit or this is why I measure knee extension on a bolster and not on the table and just getting these little clinical pearls from experienced clinicians, all really free of charge to me and no financial incentive for the clinician presenting except maybe they get reimbursed for their for their time and they just want to see other clinicians uh, excel in their uh, area of treatment that sounds so wholesome so wholesome <laughs> well we've done a lot of continuing ed things 
I feel like we've probably learned a few interesting words. I feel like it's time for vocab with Dr. Owen. <laughs> vocab with Dr. Owen. So we both have, we have some good My vocab words segment. today. Yeah, so from our um, 3D maps class, uh, Gary Gray, if anyone takes any of his courses, will know he is a vocab what aficionado i don't want to say connoisseur because he just creates oh, words innovator innovator, innovator. Right. he's a vocab innovator so we talked about how uh, muscles work econcentrically so meaning they work eccentrically and concentrically i don't know what econcentric at the same time at the same time kind of isometrically i don't know econcentric it's a word now uh what other one do we have most stability there are not just stabilizers in mover muscles. They do both. They are mo-stability muscles, <laughs> movement and stability muscles. Uh, you'll also learn fun words for techniques like a J-stroke, where you're moving fascial planes in three dimensions of motion with your instrument. Uh -huh. Not just one way, not two ways, but three ways, which you Ooh, definitely I need do to do if you're trying to break up those adhesions and get the joint moving better. So you got any uh, good vocab words for us, Andy? Oh, um, one of my favorite ones to call a patient is tell them that they're deranged. <laughs> um, McKenzie's model uses the word derangement quite often. It's one of their buckets. Um they refer it as to um, patients who have unilateral um, radicular symptoms that can be provoked by one position and relieved by another position in the opposite direction. Um, but just telling a patient, yeah, you're a little deranged is fantastic <laughs> for building therapeutic alliance. Let me tell you, love that one. Um, from my needling courses, um, we learned how to needle the antithesis, which is really hard to say if you have a mouthful of peanut butter. So antithesis, if you have been setting up in your anatomy lately, is the very, very small zone of where tendon and ligament um, fibers attach into the um, periosteum of bone. So being able to get a needle into that area without ultrasound guidance, you need to sit through at least 80 hours of didactic coursework, which will run you about $4,500 or so. <laughs> I'm just I'm just impressed that you can say antithesis, let alone poke it with a needle Find it? using your, <laughs> yeah, your velvety palpation skills. I can touch that antithesis with my little finger. Right there. Right oh, yeah. there. Uh, Perfect. Oh, geez. Okay. So vocab, great. Um, all these things. We've talked about a lot of the negativity. You know, we've talked a lot about the uh, things to watch out for. I'm feeling kind of down. Matt, give me a light of hope here. Let's yeah. See. So in the continuing education world, one of the things that I look for as a green light, if there is such a thing, um, is when people who are well-respected within the community research do stuff and they offer up information free of charge, uh, giving uh, open access to journal articles and things like that uh, is amazing. There's also a lot of really 
affordable continuing education, uh, one of those sites which most people know about and a lot of companies um, buy for their employees now is MedBridge. You have access to really more probably courses than you'll ever go through, more courses than I'll ever go through. Uh, and those most of them are done by people who are very well respected within that specific area of physical therapy. So they are the guru. Uh, but at the same time, you have access to, to so much, really so little. as What's a MedBridge subscription? $300? I don't know. My company pays for it, which is great. Uh, but $300 for a whole year versus whatever, $600 for a weekend. Not too bad. Um, you can also learn a lot, I think, through journal clubs, Twitter, podcast, and even some of these things now, like with PT Inquest, had trialed it. I don't know if the NAF trialed it. I know there's been some talk about, hey, you listen to a podcast, you answer these quiz questions, and you'll get a couple credits of continuing mm -hmm. education here and there. So those are some other options that are coming down the pipe. And especially, I think, now just as healthcare providers – to not get too high on a soapbox, but we need to be responsible with where we're going for our continuing education right now. I know there's a big row on Twitter this week of a picture of a dry needling course this past weekend, and one of the people in the front row filming with their phone doesn't have a mask on, you know, and you're just wondering, like, what is going on here? So, I mean, people look at that. I look at that at our profession. So says Andy Wiseman, the dry dealer. Uh, but yes, right now, <laughs> what what type of courses? Why do you need to go to a course in person? And then secondly, the, secondly, something that crossed my mind is okay. If this treatment I can only do in person, is it even applicable right now in this uh, day and age? But you know, that's another something to think about. So yeah, there's a lot of good alternatives. Episode on the pandemic. I don't we did. We're, we're moving. We're, we're going to hit about this it. second wave hard. We're going to go into another shutdown. Like let's, yeah, I'll have plenty of time to do the podcast when that happens. Yeah, so, maybe we'll do just wait four episodes pandemic a month. Too. Yeah, yeah. So those, I think those are some episodes out. Yeah, those are I some good things. Positive, positive <laughs> outlook. Positive. The fact outlook. that we okay. could take. <laughs> Something from every course, right? Yes, so no matter yes, how bad yes. the course is, no matter how crazy the instructor, no matter what the conflicts of interest are, there's probably going to be some bit of information that you can pull out of there, you can add to your own practice. And as long as you go in with a healthy amount of skepticism, ask the right questions, you know, ask them about their sources, ask them about the studies cited on there, ask them about specific patient cases. Just ask a lot of questions. You're going to get some good information eventually. You might get some information that might refute some of their claims. You might get some information that supports some of their claims. But as long as you can have those kinds of conversations and feel comfortable raising your hand during the during continuing education, you're going to get more out of it than someone who just sits back and absorbs everything at face value. So I say, you know, no matter what course you go to, if you go and you're, you know, assertive in question asking, and you're going to come away with something valuable. It might not be exactly how much you paid for the course, but it'll be something. Um, so go in there, you know, like even if you're a student, even if you're a brand new, you know, fresh, wet behind the ears, new grad, 
ask a lot of questions, um, ask them about the different sources they put on the slide. Because just because there's a citation in the slide doesn't mean that that is irrefutable evidence. Exactly. exactly. I used to believe that. I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, they got three, like, three sources on there. Like, that slide's gold. <laughs> Can't touch it. Little did you know they were the ones that did the research. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think those are all good points regarding continuing education. Andy, do you have any thoughts on what next month's discussion topic will be around? Uh, I think it's probably going to be something with uh, physical therapy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So I would like, so, you know, we were, you were talking about the pandemic a little bit. Um, something that's kind of has come up is that there's been possibly a second pandemic happening underneath our noses during this primary pandemic. And that is that um, inactivity, sedentary lifestyles, being quarantined has led to an increase in mental health issues and physical health issues, you know, unassociated with COVID, obesity being one of those. So I would like for our podcast to be a conversation around activity and exercise recommendations for patients. What should we be telling our patients to do um, for activity? What should we be telling them to do for exercise? What do patients even need to be doing after they're done with BT? I'm not talking about just the therapeutic exercise they do while they have an active case. What, what, what kind of guidelines should we be recommending to patients for life or should we be doing that? Is that our place? I think those could be some really good questions for us to have some conversation around. Perfect. That sounds good to me. Well, if you'd like to, you can exercise your right to refuse. I, I won't this time. Maybe next time. <laughs> well, it's good talking to you as always, Andy. Thank you for your insights regarding continuing education and for sharing with me and our listeners all the things not to do trying to learn more and become a better therapist. I wish I could say the same. <laughs> All right, Andy, see you next month. Bye-bye.